Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Abby Duty, the lobster to my scallops. How are you doing today, Abby? Hey, Ben. Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We uh, have been kind of attacking a lot of themes on this show. And one that just kind of popped up to us as we've been thinking about our own client base has been this concept of we have a nice group of clients that you know, they're, they're aging together and they're looking forward to retirement or in retirement, but they don't have kids. Right. And Mm -hmm. they don't have kids. And, and I think there's a lot of people that are overlooked the importance of those feet, those next generations that maybe can flip the script of we were parenting them the eventually that they help take care of us. So we started looking out for that theme and, and saying, all right, well, we need to find somebody that's an expert here. So first of course, of course, we look in the state of Maine, we're, uh, I think the oldest state in the, in the nation. So big issue there. Can't find anybody. We start looking nationally and, and, you know, we, we did a blind request out to this guest today and I was so excited that she got back to us. Um, and I want to just give her a little intro here. So she is a nationally known expert in the field of planning for the next phase of life. She really uh, recognized early on about the baby boomer generation and how they need to reinvent retirement in a really exciting way. And that led her to finding her business. So she's been featured and quoted in major media, which includes USA Today, Best Places to Retire, Forbes. She has an ongoing uh, recurring uh, article series in Forbes. You can read her there. Huffington Post, Senior Care Authority, uh, and Longevity Network. She's been, uh, folks, really in, since 2011 on solo agers is this theme that we're talking about is aging without kids and those who are aging alone, maybe for other reasons. So she has a book that after reaching out to her, we've been reading, um, and I'll put this on video here, Mm -hmm. is uh, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. And her name is Dr. Sarah Zeff-Geber. So with that intro, I want to welcome uh, Sarah to the show today. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Ben. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, Sarah... (laughs) In terms of our show, how we like to structure it is we always like to get to know you a little bit, you know, to just kind of have you come on and talk about your expertise is great, but knowing why, why are you passionate about it? Why are you, why is this something that meant to be in terms of your life purpose? So maybe we could just start with kind of your upbringing and where you grew up. Sure. Um, I grew up in California in the Bay Area. Actually, I grew up in Berkeley. Most, most people know Berkeley. <laughs> we'll have an active group of us that can't seem to let go of each other on Facebook. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah, it was an experience growing up in Berkeley. So we like to kind of hang on to a little of that. Uh, but now I live in Santa Rosa, California, which is, for those of you who aren't familiar really with the geography of California, it's about an hour and a half, hour and a quarter north of San Francisco. Okay. That doesn't mean you can drive it an hour because <laughs> uh, we have a lot of people going back and forth. Well, at least we used to before uh, COVID. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it's in the wine country. So... Most everybody I think I've heard of has heard of uh, Napa Valley and Sonoma Valley wine country in California, and I live in the Sonoma Valley. That sounds like an exciting place to be just in terms of activity, right? Is There's no shortage of things to do, places to see. Obviously, yeah. you have new people coming in, I'm sure, all the time, which keeps its vibrancy. Can you talk a little bit about your path towards becoming, obviously, we just uh, talked about your book a little bit, but you, you speak a lot. And so I've seen your YouTube videos, um, you do workshops. Can you, you talk about that path towards be, uh, kind of that role today? Well, two things led me to get into this field. Um, I used to be a management cons- <clears throat> consultant. I used to be in leadership development and team building and that kind of thing. I did that for 25 years, loved it. Mm-hmm. But there came a time, um, I don't know, probably when my clients and I were both approaching 60, that they started wanting to talk more about their retirement plans than their strategic plans. And I kind of was feeling some uh, a little uh, antsy to figure out what the next phase of my life is going to look like too. 
So I kind of took that cue and took a uh, some additional training in the retirement transition in order to be a retirement coach. So I did that about that was about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that for a few years. And then I began to notice something else, just really kind of tangential to my coaching. Um, I noticed that a lot of my friends and colleagues were spending a tremendous amount of time taking care of their aging parents. Mm-hmm. In some cases, they were flying across the country. In other cases, they were uh, spending a tremendous amount of time getting mom settled in a, an assisted living community or making sure she had home help. Uh, it just, it was a lot going on in that realm. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I don't have living parents. We both lost our parents kind of early in life. So we just never thought about that. But it wasn't lost on me that it was going on all around me. And I, one day I was having lunch with a friend of mine who's also a solo ager. And I said to her, you know, you spent a lot of time talking to your mom, kind of shoring her up and, and encouraging her along along her path, which was to move into a, a um, continuing care community. I said, who's going to do that for us? And we kind of looked at each other and went, <laughs> oops, <Right. laughs> it doesn't look like we have anyone coming along the pipeline because we're so low agers. So at, at that point, I realized that uh, we needed a name. And that's when I coined the term solo ager. And that was a prob- probably about seven or eight years ago. And ever since then, I really have seen that as my passion. I became my passion. I started talking about it. People would come up to me and say, you're really onto something. This is an issue. And they also convinced me that it isn't just people who don't have children that are solo agers. Right. That Mm -hmm. there are people who have children who are estranged or who Mm -hmm. live 9,000 miles away in some other country. Uh, That there are a lot of people out there who really strongly believe that they are or are going to be solo agers as they get up through those decades. And and I'd say that's kind of tangential to how we found you, right? Is this, you know, you're looking for a theme and you're trying to find it. You say, Hey, this is something where I just don't see anybody talking about this, right? I don't see anybody that's really even brought this to light. I, I think maybe just in terms of our country, I mean, we we do a really poor job. I think even having these conversations about going forward, mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's just very romantic to talk about career and to talk about fame and success and all the things that accomplish with money and all of that. But it's this, well, it's really not romantic to talk about, you know, the, the, and I know in your book, you talk about multiple stages of retirement. Yes. And it's, Mm -hmm. I think we romanticize those first, that first stage of retirement, but maybe not that second and third. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the theme that you're hitting on is not only that we're, you're not talking about it, maybe just as a group in general, but here's just a very specific group as well, which when I'm reading your book and, and reading that, I think you had 2010 census data. And really the minority and even women, the minority of women were living with a spouse, mm-hmm. right? And you're yeah. saying, that's a big theme. That's not just a, hey, this is 4% of the population that are doing this. This is big. Yeah. Yeah. I began, when I recognized the need, I began to study what the statistics look like, uh, at least from the 2010 census. And uh, Pew Research, which is one of the most respected research groups in the country, did a study. They do a lot of family life studies. And one of the things they looked at is what was the childless rate among the different generations? And the baby boomers were really the, the most current one they could study at the time because at that point, the youngest baby boomers were reaching about 43, 44 years of age. Mm-hmm. And that's just about the end of childbearing years. Mm-hmm. And guess what they found? 19.4% had never had children. Yep. Women. Yep. We can't, you know, who knows how many men didn't have children. <laughs> sure. Yes. Because <laughs> we can't really track that as easily. But, right. but clearly there are plenty of men out there who are solo agers as well. It's just, it's just the women we can count. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like you're, and you're seeing, and you, you kind of go through more reasons in the book about, you know, there's maybe more career opportunities now for women than there ever have been. Right. Yeah. There's, there's more, Hey, I, I have more independence and freedom and it's more acceptable to kind of go and, and forge your own path. So that I think there's more empowerment happening 
and maybe we're not all the way to where we need to be with that, but it's just more and more kind of acceptance there. So I, I again, I, I like that now you're saying, hey, we now have really all the data we need around baby boomers and kind of getting the solo aging statistics out there. But I, I want to ask you also about, Sarah, about Life Encore, because you kind of, you know, I know you kind of touched on a theme. And, and now in terms of your work, can you talk about Life Encore? What do they do? How do you help pre-retirees and retirees navigate the perfect retirement? Because we're kind of saying the same thing, retirement success, right? Is what's, what's that perfect retirement there? Well, Life Encore is me. It's that is the the company that's the entity that I started through which to do my coaching. You know, I'm honestly uh, not doing much one on one coaching anymore at all. I'm mm-hmm. reaching out to the larger audience like this. Mm-hmm. Um, during normal times, I do a lot of public speaking. I speak to a lot of um, professional groups. I speak to a lot of estate attorneys and financial planners. Uh, because they have tons of clients who are solo agers and they really need to know what special needs those solo agers have. So I like to reach out uh, to those folks too. So Life Encore is really just another way of saying Sarah Zeff Geber. Okay. Okay. Well, and what you said is right, Sarah, is that, you know, for us, you know, this has been even, you know, I I think we know of the topic, right? As they go, yeah, I, I have clients that, don't have kids and, you know, and uh, and we're seeing, or they're again, whatever the the relationship, they're maybe estranged or they're just whatever. And we know of it, but we need to be better, right? Is this is our job. This is, they're looking to us to say, what don't I know about not only just financially, what don't I know, but in terms of retirement, right? We need to be better retirement experts. We need to be better about forecasting what's coming down the road and have you thought about A, B, and C. So, for us, maybe just a little bit of a private interest for us is, hey, we just we just need to be doing better. And if people can listen in as we're doing the show, so it's it's really great there. I want to really go eat now in depth in terms of our topic here. And again, the name of the show we're talking about is strategizing retirement as a solo ager, right? Because again, I think strategizing retirement is one thing, but to take the lens of, hey, you're you're in this situation and what does it mean maybe differently for you? That's where we want to go for all these this, this kind of following questions. So I know we've we've kind of introduced the topic. Can you just give us the most formal definition you can as we're kind of coming up with solo agers? Because I know you mentioned about no kids, but can you talk about what that means? And then more prevalently, how the trend is. I know I gave some of the census data, but maybe even men to women or, or kind of what you're seeing in different stages. Love to get that just first foundationally defined. Well, my definition of a solo ager, for starters, anyone without adult children. And then I... Over the few years after I launched that whole idea, I got so much feedback that there were people out there that felt that they were definitely solo agers that did have kids, but maybe those kids lived far away, um, were estranged, weren't fully functional for some reason. So I pretty quickly expanded the definition. So now I say a solo ager is anyone who either doesn't have children or is aging alone for other reasons. And so it's really up to the individual, him or herself, to define whether they believe that they are a solo ager. I just kind of see, you know, as uh, what you're seeing for caregiving is, hey, for adult children taking care of their parents as they're aging, right? Mm -hmm. And there's just personally, this has had a, I've had a conversation with my parents about this because they took care of my, uh, it was 93 year old grandfather all the way until he's 99. Mm Mm-hmm. Lit, moved in with them. Uh, so yeah. for, for, I think for the first 10 years, he was like 83 to 93, checking in on them, uh, you know, help grocery shop, do all those things together. And then taking much more of an active, really um, uh, encompassing role as my parents had retired and taking care of him. But I hear the echo of that of, I don't want to do that to you, Ben, right? Is, is they're kind of saying, hey, this is something that I had to do and I don't want to do this now to you. But, yeah. but you kind of have that, well, that's well, okay. Now we need to have conversations and structures and things about how that would take care of itself if you could. But you know, there's a value system, I think, that might be changing as well. So I'd love to hear what you think about that in terms of, is this going to keep going? It, does it have to keep going? I don't know. I think you're asking several questions here. Yes. Uh, what you're describing with your grandparents uh, is a very typical 
uh, kind of scenario. You know, th throughout the 80s, you keep an eye on them. Once they get into the 90s, they usually have to give up their driver's license. Often vision starts to diminish, hearing. So you've got some real issues to work with. And like many families that have the room and the time to devote, they move your grandfather in with them. Perfect. And lots of families are still doing that for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. One is it's obviously the more economical way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, we have many cultures in America, many of whom put family as the very highest value and they would have an, an elder family member who couldn't take care of him or herself move in with them in a heartbeat. But you know as well as I do that that's not particularly the case with middle-class America today. Right. <clears throat> and um, a lot of people have small homes. They had children. Maybe they had children late. Typical age to have children now is, you know, early 30s. Mm -hmm. So by the time mom and dad need help, you may still be raising those kids or mom and dad may live thousands of miles away and have no desire to uproot themselves. And you probably certainly have no desire to uproot yourself. So we're looking at all kinds of different scenarios. And yes, I have heard countless people say to me, well, I have kids, but I don't want to be a burden to That's those right. kids. Yep. And That's the key word. To them. It, it, if that is what spurs them to do the planning that they need to do anyway, fabulous. And what I'm saying too, is that solo agers absolutely need to do the planning because they don't have that safety net. Right. And that's really what I consider adult children to be is more of a safety net than anything else. So don't want to use that safety net. Wonderful. Create a very sturdy, robust, and thorough plan for yourself. And you probably won't need to burden your kids with anything. Can you talk about maybe other myths that you're seeing with solo agers that are out there? Maybe it's not even just at the point that they're, they would or would not be having kids, but maybe kind of going forward. Is there kind of outside judgment other than maybe the kid part about maybe that they're miscast or they're pitied? So what do you find in your research there? I don't find much. The people in our society that the women in our society that have chosen not to have children <clears throat> unless they come from families where there was a lot of pressure put on them uh, and they didn't succumb to that pressure. And now they're, you know, probably still under that kind of pressure. See what you missed and yada, yada, yada. Um, there's so much opportunity to work with kids. If you want to spend time with kids, mm -hmm. a lot of solo agers do that. A lot of solo agers I know are teachers um, or they volunteer in organizations where they're helping disadvantaged youth or they're working uh, as a mentor or a guide of some sort. So there's all kinds of opportunity to work with young people. And many solo agers do have a desire to do that, even though they chose not to have children themselves. And they're finding a lot of fulfillment that way. Um, it's very much different strokes for different folks. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of along those same lines, um, so we have some clients that are naturally solo agers, some that were widowed. What have you found to be the key to happiness in solo agers? Um, and is it different for people when somebody becomes a solo ager or if that happens naturally to them? Well, I think the key for everyone to find satisfaction and fulfillment later in life is to have meaning and purpose to your life. Mm -hmm. So whether that comes from your work, um, as we know, a lot of people are working well into their 70s, some into their 80s. Satisfaction uh, may come from, uh, from that dimension. Um, satisfaction for a lot of people who do have children is being a grandparent. I call it being a professional grandparent. <laughs> because a, a lot of people uh, in their 60s and 70s and probably in, on into their 80s find a tremendous amount of joy and the parents find a tremendous amount of help uh, in having them spend time with the grandkids. So uh, those are those are two biggies. But of course, people who have left their jobs and who may not have grandparents or don't have grandparents living nearby have found fulfillment in just hundreds and hundreds of ways through art or through volunteering or through um, sports 
Um, people get into all kinds of different things. The wonderful thing about the, the baby boom generation, not that we were so special, but we came along at a time when medical science was able to do a lot of things to keep us moving and uh, in better health. So with knee replacements and hip replacements and, and all of that, um, we've certainly been able to move into our later decades that might have failed our ancestors. Now we're kind of bionic in a sense, or we can be bionic uh, and continue and enjoy the things we love. But people are finding fulfillment in so many ways. And it just breaks my heart when I had someone come to me and say, you know, my husband retired a couple of years ago and all he does is sit in front of the TV. And I say, oh, no. You know, that's, that's a, a death trap. It really is. Yeah. And, and we've, we've kind of explored that a lot, Sarah, is, is this whole idea of, and I, I think we've, we try to fight this tide a lot is this retiring from something is not leading to success. It's yeah. retiring to something, right? So mm-hmm. is, is visualization and what, what brings you happiness? What brings you joy? What's your purpose? Uh, what brings you value investing in those things and then lining them up in the, the two part you know, versus I'm just burnt out. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to do nothing. Just sit in front of you, which it's, you know, is sometimes that's the break after is sometimes people just are burnt out. They need a break, but then flipping forward is, is kind of, I, and you made the point in your book uh, several times about those that are, are continuing to look forward to things are an active and are, are seeing things to do all the time. They're just living longer because loneliness and, and depression doesn't set in right as, because after a while you were kind of showing that, Hey, you know, that may be okay for a while you do that, but eventually you're just going to get, you, you, you might just get very lonely and depressed and lots of things happen. And, and that just shortens your longevity. Yeah. And I will tell you, I have seen everything in between. Um, I have, I have seen people, I know people personally that find plenty of fulfillment on the golf course, mm-hmm. you know, they go from one golf game to a dinner to a some kind of club activity to, and it's they're not really volunteering; um, they're into golf. It's their whole life, so different strokes for different folks. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things I really caution people about when I, especially when I talk to other financial, not financial writers, sorry, retirement coaches, because I also belong to a group of retirement coaches, wonderful group. And I say, you know, be careful that you don't become judgmental about Mm -hmm. what people do in their retirement, because there are people out there who will be completely fulfilled in their life doing something that you and I would just roll our eyes and go, but (laughs) <laughs> it's not their thing to go yes. work in a soup kitchen mm-hmm. or it's not their thing to be a dog walker or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's part of this too, is what, why we wanted to have you on and talk about the theme of solo aging is that, is that, is that that whole idea of maybe from three generations ago, this would have been a very kind of not acceptable lifestyle, right? Is to, mm-hmm. is to say, you know, you didn't follow a traditional family planning approach and, and because of that, and here's where it goes you know, again, as we've kind of talked about is they were debunking that a lot, but I, I want to kind of go forward now here a little bit, because you have in your book, you had a really good story. And I know we talk a little bit offline about this one. I just kind of really uh, sunk in. I read it two or three times was this couple that was, was aging in their uh, late eighties and early nineties. And they, you know, solo agers, and they had uh, some neighbors that moved into town. They met through some social uh, circles and just really kind of clicked. And then they were checking in with each other and, you know, they would, they would uh, eat together, all that. Well, but then when, when one of them got sick and had to go to the hospital, the one of the other couples had to take care of the, the wife that was at home. And all of a sudden, now they saw dementia. They were saw, seeing that they were, she was getting up at 3 a.m., uh, trying to make breakfast, behavioral things going on. So, you know, you could kind of see, well, they had this really, really lucked out, I think, as you said in the book, that they kind of sprung into a support system to help them with that third phase of, re- of retirement, the aging. So I want to uh, kind of then zoom out here a little bit of what are some really big mistakes that you see solo agers make? Because I think you're pointing out one there about not having a structure in place and they were gotten all the way to that third phase in the 90s without it there. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, ben, you're referring to 
two of my favorite people, Fred and Hildy, mm -hmm. um, who actually, I never met Fred and Hildy, but I am very good friends with the people that kind of adopted them when they moved into their neighborhood, my friends, Peter and Andrea. Mm -hmm. And it, the, the point that I, that I make in the book and the reason that story is front and center is because Fred and Hildy didn't do any planning, but they got so lucky in the end to find Andrea and Peter, who just absolutely fell in love with them and kind of adopted them. Mm -hmm. They ended up being their powers of attorney for finances and for health care. They were at least lucid enough uh, early on enough to create estate documents and financial documents that named Peter and Andrea to do this so they could take them to the hospital. They were the ones that the hospital would call with updates. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that knew what they wanted in terms of their healthcare decisions. And they saw them right up to the end. Andrea and Peter might not have been good people. They might have taken terrible advantage of them. Mm -hmm. So for the Fred and Hildes of the world, which <laughs> millions of us will be if we don't plan ahead to, for who is going to kind of adopt us, who is going to take over that decision-making if the time comes that we cannot. Mm -hmm. Because somebody asked me the other day, well, what's your real mission in life here? And I said, it's to drag baby boomers heads out of the sand and and have them acknowledge the fact that they have other stages of development in front of them. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's going to be different. They're not all going to just be, <laughs> one of my friends puts it, I just want to be happy, 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 dead. <laughs> but that's not the way it goes for many mm -hmm. people. You may right. spend a, a few years of your life with a uh, with a disability, you may need some help. You may need um, to have someone be there for you um, on a regular basis. We don't know for sure. On the other hand, you may have a heart attack when you're 78 and that'll be the end of it. So because we don't have a crystal ball, it seems prudent to me that everyone should do the planning necessary in case they do end up in a situation where they need help. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I know we're, we'll talk about kind of social network in a bit, but I think that's an important part is, is again, where, you know, what might be kind of easier for those that are not solo agers, like, well, I just named the kids and, and they can, even if they're not there, I could just kind of have them be in that place. And, and at least there's kind of this blood is uh, thicker than something else uh, analogy that you can kind of go to is like, that's an easy thing. It, that's a really tough decision point, especially is is testing your social network that you've created. So I, I think that was a really good and important kind of takeaway action step for somebody is, is thinking about that uh, there. Um, so you touched on it in your story that you were just talking about, and we've talked about it in a couple of episodes in our podcast, the importance of wills, trusts, power of attorneys, right, in the financial planning process. Um, and a big piece of this is leaving a legacy. So how can solo agers leave a legacy? You know, I think it depends on how you define legacy. Mm -hmm. To me, a legacy is very much not, a, not about money. Mm -hmm. It's about what you leave behind in the way of your good deeds, in the way of your spirit, in what you've taught people. Um, I have a couple of nieces that I know I will leave a legacy of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, their parents did not go to college, but I managed to convince at least one out of the two <laughs> uh, to go to college. And I helped her with that. And she is now a a graduate with a fine arts degree and has turned into a very solid citizen. So um, I know that I have left a legacy with her. I know that I've left a legacy with many of the people that over the years I have had an influence on and, um, and taught in some ways. So that will surely be my legacy, for mm -hmm. instance. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think everyone leaves a legacy of some sort. And yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to muse about what that legacy might be. And people with, with money try and put things in place like foundations and leave mm -hmm. concrete brick and mortar legacy behind them. And that's all well and good. But the rest of us, most of the rest of us don't have that kind of money. And our leg legacy will be 
um, in our spirit and the things that we've left in the world. Yeah. And, and I'll share with you too, uh, Sarah, is that, you know, I, I think that legacy is something that comes out in our conversations with folks. And, and one thing that I've talked about with one client, it's not a solo aging uh, example, but we're, we're talking about, well, you know, what's one thing that you, you want to do maybe with your grandkids or somebody that's really important with you. And this gentleman said, you know, what was really important to me? I said to my grandchild at five years old that I want to help him buy a car. And, and we talked and he said, uh, and he goes, it's three years later now he was eight and he goes, you know, Grampy, you know, eight more years and you're helping me buy that car. Mm-hmm. So we, but we said, well, you know, just fast forward to that day, eight more years from now, right? Think about that day, you going with that person in this case, your grandchild, helping them buy their first car. You know, there's a financial lesson in there. What's prudent in terms of budgeting? You know, what's appropriate for a 16-year-old to drive? Uh, what's a gas mileage? And what what what's important about gas mileage and why you should consider? Like all of those life experiences and probably for the rest of that grandchild's life, they're going to think about that day that that person, uh, grandfather in this case, helped me buy this car in every car from now on, they're going to think about you. Yeah. And right? they'll probably pass that legacy along and be the grandfather eventually that buys their grandchild a car. Yeah. And I know that's a financial related thing, but you know, I, I think there's a point of, you know, sometimes how we do one thing is how we do everything. Right. And it's, it's, well, here's one example that I took from one person mm-hmm. and it might be even that, you know, I, I, uh, obviously in this world, we're not doing it, but if we're shaking hands and, and you ask really, how are you doing? And you spend time with people to really care. Yeah, people get that. And they go, you know, if you took the t- moment to just care about me, what else do you really care about? And that's a type of impact is you made a, mo- a point about being indirect and direct impacts with legacy. So I think that was a really kind of neat point that you were, you're bringing to the surface of that, you know, it's not this traditional of, I got to give so much money to this thing. And if I don't have money, then I don't have any legacy that that Mm -hmm. is not at all true, nor, nor even uh, kind of appropriate. So I want to maybe talk a lot about then some maybe shift from legacy. And we talked a little bit about social networks and you have a really great flow chart in your book about the social network of maybe traditional kind of that parent to kid side where who's in our life, what relationships do we have and how big the, the kind of child and grandchildren uh, part of that flow chart is for, for parents, right. And grandparents they spend a lot of their time in those relationships But think of the solo agers that they really start investing in tons of other relationships. They have all that time to really, so their, their social network can be really robust and really big. And I, I did not even thought of that as a point, like what, what a great insight of, you know, here's something where you can, we're really work to develop your social network. And I've seen your speech too, a couple of times where you talk about, you really want eight to 10 as kind of the number of relationships that are really important in your life. And cause things will change and all that. But can you talk about some ways that solo agers can really bolster that network, um, especially after they retire from their midlife career? Sure. Um, and it is <clears throat> so important. People with big families have <clears throat> kind of built in strong social networks, especially if those families are co-located at least within 100 miles of one another. Yep. Solo wagers um, very typically don't have that kind of robust, big family network. So we have to work to develop our social, um, our social connections. And there are so many ways to do that. Typically, solo wagers develop very strong ties with people they work with. Now, those ties may or may not survive retirement or leaving that field and moving on to your next act, whatever it is. But if you're a natural at building relationships, you'll build them wherever you go. Mm -hmm. If you're not a natural at it, there are some things that you can do to avoid many hours sitting solo in front of a TV, which is what we all want to avoid, kids or no kids. Um, And that is begin to look at your own interests and join some groups that share those interests. It can be as simple as a book club. It can be a hiking club. It can be a quilting club. It can be art classes. 
Uh, it can be, some of you are probably familiar with OLLI, the uh, Lifelong Learning Institute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and most universities in, in mm-hmm. most areas of the country carry those courses. Uh, I know people that have developed strong communities of people that go from one of these courses to the next. And they connect with each other outside of the classroom. And now, of course, everything is on Zoom. So I even know people who have met others <laughs> through Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a group, um, a fairly new organization called Vitality Society. And it's, it emanates from New York City, but it's a nationwide phenomenon of resources and activities for older adults. So the um, founder of Vitality Society, Meredith Oppenheim, asked me not too long ago to facilitate their solo aging discussions because they have a big solo aging group. Mm-hmm. And I, over the months as I've been doing that, I've, I've seen a, a couple people recognize that, oh, they live near each other. Uh, why don't we meet for a socially distanced, masked uh, rendezvous in person. We'll take a walk in Central Park or we'll mm-hmm. do something in our neighborhood. So people are even meeting online. And and of course, if you don't know about meetup.com, mm-hmm. um, it's a great way for people to find others with their same interests and get involved in, in doing things. You have to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to happen to you as if you haven't been a natural bridge builder. Now, having said that, Uh, Some people carry with them throughout their lives, their associations through their church or synagogue or mosque or wherever you worship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those can be very, very powerful and long lived affiliations that can grow into very rich friendships. And also most religious organizations have all kinds of opportunities to volunteer and give back to society. So even if you, uh, have left behind your religious affiliation of your youth, you may want to re-explore what's happening in that church or synagogue today because religious organizations today, from what I've seen, are pretty different organizations than they were back in the 60s and uh, and 50s. So I know a lot of people um, belong to them almost purely for social reasons, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think in Maine, that, that that's kind of the problem here um you know if you're looking at an issue is when you get kind of north of portland which again portland's in the southern part of the state and i think that's where a lot of population density is more increased social engagement and more activities you start getting more north and it it's you know there probably is almost every half mile to a mile there's the, the neighbor right and then you have long winters so yeah. it's really tough to engage socially right is it's that is you know in that i think that's a big issue in our region is is this whole you know i'm going to get isolated i'm going to get lonely i'm going to get depressed and if i let just kind of gravity and nature take its course um, I'm going to get more and more enclosed in and in yeah. what you're, what you're saying is exactly right. You have to put out effort and you had a quote there of to have a friend, you need to be a friend. Mm-hmm. And, and what a poignant statement of that, of you need to put yourself out there and you need to also put effort into investing in these relationships of grab a coffee with somebody, right? Go in an art area, go to the local Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons. And you see that every day you walk in and there's a bunch of people just having some coffee. I know we're not in this world. When we get back to normal, that will be (laughs) back to it or McDonald's, but that's where those little, you know, whether it be McDonald's or whatever, those are the centers here. Yeah. And, and they're finding those connections, but you got to do, but that's what we have. I think you're right on with churches. Churches is, is kind of the strong network here. And Abby will ask the next question around that. <laughs> but then area agencies on aging is the next thing that it just binds everybody uh, yeah. around these social circles and caregiving um, um, uh, conversations and having kind of round tables around caregiving and all of those things together are really important. So I want to just highlight that. Uh, it's just from a local flavor of that, of just making that more local is important. So I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to Abby for the next one there. <laughs> I know. And you teed me up perfectly. Um, so <laughs> spirituality often becomes more important to people as they age. Right. And you even touched on this, Sarah. Um, and so we talked about that in one of our prior episodes as well. So is that important to solo agers? Um, and what suggestions do you have for people who are looking to get back into um, a group or looking to get more into spirituality as they age? 
Sure. I think that there's no difference between solo agers and people who do have kids when it comes to religion and spirituality. Um, There are all kinds of options to get involved in a church or a synagogue or a um, place uh, that is, uh, let's see, and here in my area, we have something called the Center for Spiritual Living. I'm not sure how widespread they are across the rest of the country, but for those people who are not interested in talking about God or Jesus or something um, of the spiritual connection of their youth, that's a wonderful home for them. And they operate just like a church in that they have worship services where they mostly meditate and do other kinds of spiritual um, activities to connect people with their spiritual center without the dogma that went with the churches that people are, are sometimes now saying, uh-uh, no, no more. So there's that. Um, there's yoga centers, there's meditation centers, all of those kinds of places are set up to help people become more in touch again with their spiritual center. But that can happen through a, a traditional church or synagogue or mosque as well. Mm-hmm. So whatever kind of calls to you, give it a try. Just walk in the door one day. I can almost guarantee you, you'll get a warm welcome. Mm -hmm. Because if nothing else, Mm -hmm. those organizations always want to increase their membership. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's, that's, again, with us, with you have such kind of these very rural, very traditional places of worship. Mm-hmm. And, and the ones that are really not kind of, uh, again, in Maine, the ones that are not evolving with the times and they're kind of getting a little more modern with kind of the population and their lifestyles and tastes, you're seeing the membership decline. The ones that are evolving are, are kind of growing here more. So you're seeing again, this, this, and that's where we were encouraging in that fifth episode was hey, if you find one that's really, even though it's local to you, but maybe it doesn't fit, just try it out. If it doesn't fit, there's other ones that you can just try and and go to other areas. And again, really great networks there that are there to, to get you there. Yeah. Right. And they, they want to bring you in. So it, it touches not just the spirituality, touches social, touches kind of this, this human connection side, which uh, again is, is kind of a very necessary piece. Yeah, and some some churches and places of worship have, especially the larger ones, have all kinds of activities that mm-hmm. are available within the uh, within the membership too. Um, sports teams, everything from mm-hmm. sports teams to full gymnasiums. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I think movie theaters. Even see more of that where you are, where people are really kind of shut in in the winter and mm-hmm. can't do a lot of physical activity outside, yep. um, you probably have more of that kind of, uh, that kind of opportunity going on. That's right. And, and they, they have to, right. Is they have to keep doing it because there's, there's just limited options. I, I want to ask another question, uh, Sarah, about uh, solo agers, because you kind of have, you have this whole, you have a theme here about aging in place is one thing that is a general theme we hear a lot which I'm sure most of this generation says, I want to stay in my home as long as possible. And mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to fight that stage to go into some sort of, whether it be retirement community, assisted living, nursing, whatever the, the life stage of, of retirement community is there. But there's this kind of idea about deciding how and where. And I want to throw an example at you. We have one client and they're pre-retirement, right? And they're solo wagers. And they're saying, you know what? Hey, I don't have any binds here. Uh, you know what would be really great is to go move to Bolivia. Is move to Bolivia. I bet cost of living's cheaper. I bet we could do it for a long period of time. We could, you know, there's so many, it's going to be better weather and get out of this political culture in the United States, all of the, that, whatever the reasons are and moving away, how would you counsel, not just maybe this particular example, but how would you, because again, it's a very different situation of my kids are right in town, so I can't ever move, right? (laughs) So you kind of have a little bit of those ties that aren't there is actually a really good thing in some cases, and you now have maybe more independence and freedom of where you want to go. Can you just talk about those decision points? Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, there's so much to talk about here. Yes, <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, the kind of the, the bad news on that, or actually the, just the bad reality, it's not news, is that some people think that there is no nothing between 
that skilled nursing facility that just lost 20 people to COVID and and staying in my own home. Mm -hmm. That's right. There is so much along that spectrum of Mm -hmm. senior residents and and choices in senior housing. There's just so much. A lot of it will depend on your pocketbook. Mm-hmm. The kind of at the upper end of things are these uh, communities called continuing care communities, mm-hmm. continuing care retirement communities, CCRCs, also called life plan communities. Mm-hmm. And they are communities that you buy into when you can live totally independently and you continue to live totally independently in their uh, in that community. You buy a, an apartment or a more like a condominium. And as you need more help and care, it's available to you. Now, there's all kinds of financial models around that, which I'm not going to take the time to go into. But that's kind of the the ultimate for people that do have a substantial retirement purse behind them and have a home to sell, most likely a home to sell that's worth, um, you know, uh, more than just a couple hundred thousand. Um, So that's one. But there are also, uh, there's a new phenomenon just kind of coming online called active adult. Mm -hmm. And it's appropriate for a lot of different size purses. The active adult is kind of like your 55 plus community, except that when you move in, you rent your apartment, you choose an apartment and rent it. Uh, It is for people who are 55 plus, but they also have other elements to it. There's also um, an activity element and they have the, the property has a lot of different opportunities for people to be active physically and, and congregate with others. So it's uh, some people call it independent living light uh, because the big difference between independent living as it's defined by the senior housing industry is that it also includes a meal plan. Mm-hmm. So Active adult doesn't include that kind of a meal plan, although some of the communities that are being built today actually are building a commercial kitchen and they're using it for other things, but they know that at some point the residents might ask to put that into play as a, um, as a kitchen to prepare meals for them. So it's kind of a complicated array out there, but also there are opportunities to move in with other people. There's a huge home sharing movement going on in the country right now. There are also co-housing communities that are becoming um, much more popular. It's a concept that started in Europe and now it's sweeping the U.S. There's about 300 different um, co-housing communities around the country. The, The point really is that we all need to live in some kind of community. And if you are lucky enough to live in a community right now that's stable and that where people care about you and you're going to be there with them for the duration of your life and they're close enough to holler to when you step out your front door, great. And if your house is set up well for aging, great. But most people cannot answer yes to those things. Right, right. That suburban home in a cul-de-sac, that two-story home in a cul-de-sac where you drive into your garage and never see your neighbor is not conducive to healthy aging. Mm It doesn't put you in a community. So I encourage everybody to really, really reconsider where they're living, especially if they've led a rural life. Because I'm... You know, unless you have very special circumstances around you, getting older in a rural setting can be a recipe for loneliness and isolation. And, and I, I guess I, would, I kind of go with that too. Is is I think we're seeing that a lot. Is like in again northern Maine, just no structure there, right? Is you have yeah. aging uh, housing population that has not been maintained. It's not meant to live in. You know, multiple floors, bathroom on the second floor. You know, you have the laundry in the basement. You know, and and it's just and they don't have the money to maintain these houses. So, you know, they're just, but they have no other option, right? Is I went to an AARP uh, uh, listening session with the state of Maine and how DHHS would kind of spend kind of the, the money towards uh, supporting seniors. And that was a lot of the conversation was we need those sorts of structures that you just discussed, right? Is we need some sort of uh, senior living community that allows us to uh, not just kind of on the maybe 55 and older, maybe there's other parts of the community that needs to be there too, to help support this community. 
right? Is that we can uh, have all life stages to help support and we all help each other. That yeah. all, and they're seeing all these models and they're saying, well, why aren't we doing anything like this? And it's just, you know, again, you, you continue to cut, you know, state budgets as it is, you know, there's less money on this and those things being talked about, but yeah, there, there's limited options. So then you go, if I don't have options in my, even, even local area or even moving to population centers within the state, because they don't have that either, then I do have to leave, mm-hmm. right? Is I have to go examine other options because, and the hard part about that is they're then structured with, well, I just spent all this time developing a social network right here. Yep. And I have to then move and then replenish. And that's when I, I urge people to start this thinking early. Mm-hmm. Start this in, when you're still fully, fully mentally and physically capable of making a move and making new friends, do it in your sixties, mm-hmm. do it in your early seventies. It realize that you, that what your life, if you realize your lifestyle is not sustainable for you in your eighties and nineties, make the move early. Mm-hmm. And you know, most solo agers, not all, but most solo agers do have family somewhere. Mm-hmm. It may be nieces and nephews, younger siblings that have established a life in a community Uh, maybe a few states away, consider that. Begin to look around at what's available in those areas. And then you'll be able to also name some of those family members to have your advanced directive, to have your power of attorney. Uh, But you need to begin to deepen your relationship with them first. And in most cases, they'll certainly welcome you. I'm not saying to live with them, but to look around at different kinds of senior housing communities that might be in that area. Probably in Maine, mobile home parks are not real popular. You don't have the weather that's very conducive to that. Correct. Correct. In warmer climates, I've become a huge fan of mobile home parks because they're affordable for most people. They're one level, they're small, they're self-contained, and people have to get out and mingle with others. Generally speaking, uh, people may have a carport, um, but extra cars are always kept on the periphery. There's a clubhouse. There's often a swimming pool. The residents themselves organize all kinds of activities. They do potlucks and movie nights. And these the folks that I have met from these communities have really done a good job building a community. They don't need to think further than that. They're already there. If they have to bring in some care eventually, That'll happen. But often people in those parks really take pretty good care of each other. If someone can't drive for a couple of weeks because they've had a knee replacement or they need their dog to be walked, um, it happens. And people just watch out for one another. It's a wonderful thing. And it's exactly the kind of community feeling that I think we all should be looking for. Absolutely. Um, So we're going to totally shift gears on you. And for our last question of the podcast, so the title of the podcast, right, is the retirement success in Maine. So we Mm -hmm. ask every guest, what is your personal definition of retirement success? Having people around me that I love and that love me and that I'm devoted to and they're devoted to me. And whether that includes my spouse at that point, I don't know. Um, we're both solo agers, so we have to plan to be solo agers. We don't know who's going to predecease the other. But to me, retirement success is living in a secure environment that I enjoy and having people around me that I love. That's great. a really good answer. Yeah, we yeah. love that. So, Dr. Deborah, I want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. It's been our pleasure. Again, I, we've gotten a lot of just immense, uh, really just as a resource, just a lot of really... Uh, just appreciate your expertise Thank is you. to come Thank on the show. And I, I, again, I'm, I'm not all the way done and I'll, I'll confess that right now of your book. Uh, I've, I've taken even longer, I think than I thought I was going to be rereading some of these sections, but I can just see where we can be handing these out to our clients and saying, you got to read this because it is, and I know it says it's the roadmap. It really is the roadmap is like really great decision points, really good things for then us to bring up to our clients because these are decision points. I know a lot of financial advisors that do exactly that. Mm -hmm. They know they have a lot of solo aging clients and they just give them a book part of their work with them. 
Yeah. And, and it just, it, it just tees up those conversations, right? Is, yes. is cause if you're saying, Hey, all of a sudden I want to be living somewhere else. Well, we need to know that because all of a sudden that plan that we had in place about what your spending rate was, we need to adapt and we need to adjust. So the more we look down the road for us and see those guideposts, the more we're going to do it, we're going to do a better job. And, and I think that's, that's where, again, personally and our team here, we've gotten a lot of utility and value from your, from your writing and your expertise. So well, we can't you. thank you enough for coming on. This has been great. Thank you. All right. Be well. Bye. So solo aging with Dr. Sarah Geber, um, it really kind of, uh, again, I'd never heard of it. I'd yeah. never really as a theme, right. As obviously no people that were experiencing kind of how they're experiencing life that way, but as a theme and all the issues that go with it. And again, kind of reading the book, I know like we've done is to say, Oh man, there's a lot more to this than I ever could have thought. So again, good to have her on and really go in depth in terms of these topics with us. Abby, could you maybe just share a lesson that, that you'd like to highlight for the, for the audience here? Cause I, I know there's a ton of what you could do, but what's the one thing that you would uh, kind of take away for, for today? Yeah, absolutely. So what I found so interesting um, and I had never really thought about it in the way that she phrased it. But when you don't have kids, you don't have that safety net there. So, um, you know, if people don't do a good job planning for retirement, the kids are always a backup, right? They'll take care of me. Maybe I can live with them if I need to. But if you don't have that there, then you really need to be more prepared, have a better plan in place. Otherwise, you might get in a situation where either it doesn't go well or you need to rely on luck or, you know, randomness to help succeed. So, I think that's really important for people is the importance of having a well thought out and very prepared retirement plan. Yeah. And, and it's more of um, it just situationally aware, right? Is, mm-hmm. hey, when this happens, what do I do and where do I go and who can I talk to about it? And again, I, I know like we had Diane Walsh from Eastern Area Agency on Aging on, on our second episode and you know those sorts of resources. So she did a really great job actually going through all of her episodes mm-hmm. as a little <laughs> bit of a recap, uh, but relating to solo aging was, was kind of a really good, she, her track and our track are very similar just with different audiences. So Mm-hmm. So pretty neat to see there, but you're absolutely right with safety nets, right? Is if you don't have the the kids to take care of you as a safety net, then then financial might be a good replacement for it. But what if I don't have enough financial? Then what do I do? And where do I go? And how? Do, where do I go? And all of those things. So I kind of right dovetail into kind of my takeaway for today was the importance of the social network. Right mm-hmm. is it, you know basically kids and grandkids are are a social network for those that have kids, right? And and they invest a lot of their time and effort there. But in one of the workshops I've listened to of Dr. Gebbers is she talks about the importance of having eight to ten friends and and strong relationships, right? Because I I would even say hey I know a bunch of people that have just one really good friend network, right? Is, mm-hmm. Hey, these are my best friends. We do things together. And those are maybe early retirement. That's what they do. And they, they get along. Okay. And that's where they invest. But for solo agers, again, you don't have the friend safety net. If you don't maybe have financial is even having that you have a friend network of, Hey, here's three or four friends that can take care of me. And she says eight to 10, because what about if, if you have a friend that moves away, mm-hmm. what if you have a friend that predeceases you? What if uh, they get sick? And so if you have that circle together, you can all kind of help each other a little bit and take a little bit on. So that was one of her points as you, you know, that I, and I use the quote of her book was to have a friend, you got to be a friend, mm-hmm. put yourself out there a little bit. It's scary. I know, right. Is, and there's going to be some friendships that fizzle, right. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be okay. But you gotta, you gotta get to do that because that, that is an important part, but you probably already have that in place is her point mm-hmm. is that you, you know, in terms of your work, in terms of the time you spent with other people, as, as we've all gone through life, reconnect with those people. I think that was a really good, uh, good, important kind of takeaway for, for the solo aging thing. So again, we are, um, on episode, uh, 23. So we are 23 uh, episodes old at this point. Uh, So if you want more resources, you can go to blog 
www.guidancepointllc.com backslash 23. And you can see our webpage dedicated to this show. Again, we'll have links to, uh, if you want to check out Dr. Kepper's book, again, it's on video for those that are seeing us on video here, but uh, I know it's on Kindle as well. So for those that are on Kindle and don't want the the dead tree book, you can absolutely do that. Uh, But yeah, we'll put more resources there for things that we reference, things that we were mentioning in that website, transcription of the show. Also reach out to us. I'd love to hear from you if there's something that you want to talk about would love to hear from you and your your uh, kind of feedback and where things are going but hope you're enjoying our our show uh, retirement success in maine uh we'll hope to see you next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in maine podcast While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.